This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Where's the tape? Where's the, the scissors? Who didn't put the scissors back where they're supposed to do? Sorry, you're doing last-minute wrapping here as we're coming down to Christmas. Hey, it's Glenn Leverin's in for John Morales, off for a couple days there. Thanks uh, for being along today. Got a big hour coming up on Morning Air here on Relevant Radio. Before the hours through, we're going to help you imagine what it must have been like to be Mary pregnant with our Lord in those very first days. Kim Morgan joins us before the hour is through. Ashley Derona has the latest from Rome. We'll have another Christmas-oriented Glen Story Corner coming up before this hour is through. Going to start the day talking about Christmas music a little bit and making your own, filling your own home with that by by playing your own, maybe. Uh, that's a part of the role of, of Christmas music. We're going to talk about that with a, a longtime piano teacher, homeschooling mom, and full disclosure, from several lifetimes ago, a uh, former morning show partner of mine and uh, she had nothing to do with the the sound of this accordion christmas music behind us right now but uh, from the chicago area we're joined this morning by sylvia harder good morning sylvia good morning how are you pretty good pretty good a little little too early for accordion noise this time of day would you say oh never never (laughs) see always the polite one always the polite one but uh (laughs) You know, depending through the years on the the nature of the program I worked on, I uh, was able to recall just a little tiny, tiny bit of some of the accordion lessons I had as a young 8, 9, and 10-year-old when I ostensibly gave it up for the summer and, and yes, was able to give it up for good, but uh, I pulled it out (laughs) time and again, and uh, we usually threaten it during the pledge drives. But, Sylvia, we had you along as a real professional musician, someone who had that as your major in college and has made a living teaching others how to play to talk about Christmas music here in the midst of Advent and Christmas and what a beautiful and musical time of year. And uh, it's got to be something that's always close to your heart as someone teaching young people how to play piano. Christmas tunes are something we kind of almost in- inherently know. And if we have any hope of plunking out a, a few tunes uh, on our own, we, we may indeed start with Christmas carols. Oh, absolutely. Christmas music is is uh, so well known that it's easy to teach. Uh, it's much easier to learn, of course, than pieces you don't know. And it's so meaningful as well. Is that part of it? I mean, you know, teaching music, you need to teach people how to, to read music. But when we start loving music is when we start kind of hearing it ourselves in our head and know how it should sound a little bit and, and, and don't necessarily follow it so mechanically, although that might be a great start. But Christmas music, doesn't uh, doesn't it indeed tend to be one of those styles of music where we know how it should sound and that, that can make a bit of difference? Oh, sure. We, we, un, we know it. We, we know it well. We you know, can sing it, sing the words without uh, having too much thought about it. Um, and so, yeah, so it's much easier to learn because you know how it's supposed to sound. You know, um, you know the melody, you know, even some of the harmonies. Uh, you just you just instinctively can can hear them uh, kind of in your head. And so, of course, you know if you're playing it right or not. <laughs> so it's, it's much easier to correct <laughs> yourself. <do> I... <laughs> 
as do others. Yeah, <laughs> that's yes. the thing about songs people know. Others know if you're not playing it right as well. Well, for you growing up with a, a love of music, how did that love of music get infused into your young life? Oh boy, you know, my parents just always had music uh, in the house, whether it was uh, playing it on the radio or record player back then. That will date me, uh, or just my. Oh, they're making a comeback like, now. All all the kids got vinyl. It's cool again. It's cool. Oh, it's yes, it is. It's cool, but I'm not that young. <laughs> I'm old school vinyl. Uh, but uh, you know, my parents played the piano as well, so I. I would hear that. My father, uh, I think probably every night um, of my growing up years, would sit and play the piano for, for half an hour as probably about my bedtime as I was going to sleep. Um, he would play you know, the same music over and over every night, but I just I grew up hearing it. Um, and so wherever I went, um, music was there. And I think that kind of... Um, uh, helped uh, something that was maybe natural anyway in in me uh, kind of grow and grow to love it even more. No, it was hearing, you know, music being made in your own house and every night knowing that's your dad playing. Was that uh, mm. was kind of an overall comforting thing too? Oh, sure was. Um, as I said, he usually did it in the evening as I was going to sleep, not not because I was, you know, wasn't for me, <laughs> but it was just the time that he could sit down and play the piano. And so it was very comforting. It was, uh, you know, it's like a lullaby almost, lull me to sleep as I'm listening to it uh, every night. And um, yeah, it was a very, very comforting thing. Oh, very good. We're talking music, talking Christmas music, the importance of sharing music, teaching music, the part of uh, music that helps with our general development as well with uh, music teacher Sylvia Harder this morning here on Morning Air on Relevant Radio. Now, uh, talk a little bit about the importance of music in the development of, of young brains as well. We've heard not only does it, you know, it makes sense that it helps them appreciate music and, uh, you know, gives them that feeling of accomplishment if they can play something, but helps with things such as, as math and kind of general development of their little noggin. Oh, it is amazing. Uh, of course, a lot of people have heard of the, the Mozart effect, which is, um, you know, supposedly if you play Mozart to a young baby, it will help their brain develop. Um, you know, some people have questioned that, but I say, why not? <laughs> we might as well just start with that. But in terms of playing music, themselves. It is fantastic. I, I'm partial to the piano, of course, um, but piano music helps, uh, or learning the piano helps kids develop in so many ways. It's, it's coordination, um, you know, hand, hand coordination, um, eye coordination, watching, learning to follow the music, um, uh, foot coordination, even if you're using the foot pedals on the piano to, to be able to do that. But it's so much more than than that. It actually is. And I'm no, no uh, neuroscientist, but uh, you can do research and, and there are many, many books written on the effect of music on the young brain and how it really, really uh, makes connections. It helps young minds grow. It, uh, of course, like you said, math, there's, there's a counting element, there's a, there's a rhythm element to it. Um, it, it is so, it's such an all-encompassing learning tool in, for so many ways that I think every child should have some kind of music education, um, whether it's piano or some other instrument, to, to help 
develop their brain in so many ways. Now, you mentioned helping develop coordination with playing the piano. Can you imagine how much coordination it must take to play the accordion? I mean, you're kind of doing the piano thing with your right hand, and then you got the oompa buttons on the left, and then you're squeezing in and out, and you're trying to keep oh. it in time. I mean, that takes a lot of coordination to do it to do it right, to do it right. It's to do it poorly, it, not so much. <laughs> it's, it's, why, it's why you are... Who you are today, Glenn. I'm sure of it. <laughs> uh, there is a backhanded compliment, if there ever was one. Now, with the development of, of young kids, you talked about the Mozart effect for babies or whatever. Now, did you, as a, as a mom, several times over, ever like put headphones on your tummy when the baby was in there? Uh, I don't think I ever put headphones on my tummy. I certainly played music. I, I did. I remember playing uh, Mozart, Beethoven um, out loud. Not uh, with uh, <laughs> headphones, but then, but then also when my my children were very young, when they were born, I played a lot of music for them as well. Now later in the hour, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, when Mary was pregnant with our Lord, went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and uh, she was pregnant with John the Baptist, and he leapt in the womb when Jesus mm. came near inside of Mary. Uh, did you ever notice playing certain songs, the baby would move more than others, or did it depend on volume, perhaps? Uh, you know, I think it was more volume um, than than uh, style. Uh, but I remember kick kick once if you like it, twice if you don't. Something yeah, like that, twice if you don't. I remember going to several concerts when I was pregnant with uh, my first and second uh, sons, and I, I do remember them getting very active while I was uh, in the in the rather loud concert, <laughs> which I thought, well, that's good. This is. They can hear it at least. I know this. Very early on in that first pregnancy, we were at a Rolling Stones concert. And I, my first daughter did grow up liking music, but as did the second one. And uh, she's the one who took over from me playing at uh, holiday gatherings. So I didn't have to play anymore. So I'm not sure what she was exposed to in utero, but hey, that must have worked uh, as well. As we talk sure. about Christmas music and the importance of that. Hey, in teaching young kids, talk about the ages generally that you work with. You know, as kids maybe start at a certain age and, and, and keep going with piano. And then kind of like with, uh, say, learning a foreign language, they say if you learn it before age 12, for example, you'll, you'll learn it pretty well, more easily. You won't have an accent and all that stuff. Uh, to what degree that's true. But is, is it like that with learning music, too? The younger you are, the easier it is to learn. Somewhat, though I wouldn't say that an older child can't learn. I mean, I, I've taught... Uh, started kids at at all ages, um, even even high school students. I even teach adults who learn to read music. But I think there is something about it becoming more innate, maybe when you start young. I'm a little bit unusual. A lot of piano teachers don't start until kids are maybe seven. I've started kids as young as three. Now maybe they don't progress as fast. Maybe they. Um, you know, we have, we have to go slower. We have to do things a little bit differently, but they can certainly learn. And I, for me, it's all about making those musical brain connections and uh, teaching them that music is kind of just natural. It's kind of a natural part of of life. Um, so I will start kids as young as three, like I said, um, and they a lot of them pick up on it very quickly. Some don't. It's fine. Some have a hard time sitting at the piano, and and that's quite all right to them. We do a lot of movement and walking to music because uh, finding rhythm is very important and being able to uh, use or, or kind of to, to feel rhythm in your body 
is a really important skill to learn too. But in terms of starting out the piano, I've had three-year-olds who pick up on it quite quickly. I, I teach a lot of five-year-olds who uh, have have picked up quite quickly on music as well. But again, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that if you don't start at a certain age, you certainly can't learn music um, like that. I think that anyone at any age can begin to learn music. You won't be as fluent in it, say, if you start when you're an adult. However, there's still benefit. There's still enjoyment. And there's still a lot of uh, good that can come from it. So it's not like hockey, where if you don't start that when they're three, it's too late, right? It's not like that. Exactly. How about, um, <laughs> no, how about we've all seen videos of, of cats. Now, if you're willing to teach a three-year-old human how to play, have you ever had occasion to teach a cat how to play anything on the keyboard? <laughs> no, dogs, but no, not cats. No, <laughs> very, very, very good. Very good. Hey, we, we promised to talk about Christmas music a, a little bit. Is that something you incorporate in the lessons this time of year? Always, always. I think, aside from, as we talked about at the beginning, the fact that we just know Christmas music very well, so it's easy to tell if we're playing a wrong note or if we're doing it right. Uh, I think Christmas music is just fun to play. I've noticed my students just become more uh, interested in playing music when it comes around Christmas time because there's so many uh, fun pieces. Um, if you think of, um, you know, secular pieces like Frosty the Snowman or, or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, those are just ones that kids kind of naturally gravitate toward and want to play. But uh, in terms of Christian Christmas music as well, there's just such a wealth of things. And, um, you know, even if the, the child doesn't come from a Christian home, they tend to know all the words to, you know, songs like Joy to the World and uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, things like that. Even if they don't really uh, understand what they're singing about, they still know those tunes. And so I uh, make it a huge point uh, to play as much Christmas music as we can. In fact, I've just finished with most of my students um, a challenge, I guess you'd call it, that I started this year called the 12 Pages of Christmas Music. Not the 12 Days of Christmas, but 12 Pages of Christmas Music to see if who can learn 12 pages, whatever level they're at. If they're a beginner stage, then, you know, 12 beginner pages. If they're intermediate, 12 pages of intermediate music. And most of them rose to that challenge. In fact, my my uh, uh, top um, winner of that one, he actually learned 20 pages of Christmas music. So um, definitely something fun to incorporate. I always admired my kids when... Uh... And they kept up with it from, you know, little on till, you know, at least mid high school with the official lessons, but uh, doing all those recitals. Now, I, I had mm. one or two accordion recitals back in the 70s and, you know, dreaded those days, you know, I don't know, as much as anything <laughs> in life, I think. But, uh, um, <laughs> you know, recitals for kids, I was so, you know, here's, you know, my youngest daughter just, you know, sitting up there all by herself, you know, in front of a bunch of people mm. and just, just you know, working away at doing it. Is, is there something, you know, about doing a recital that, you know, we can show off what we know? Maybe you see some of the younger ones that not bothered by having to do it in front of people. They just get up there and do their best. And other ones are maybe struggling and nervous to get it right. But is it just, you know, is it one of those things that, ah, it's good for you? You know, it's like a, 
a Catholic thing that's tough, but you'll like it and it's necessary. Uh, do, you, do you see recitals like that or, or can some joy be infused into the whole experience? Oh, I, I hope some joy can be infused. However, they are very good for you. I don't call them recitals. I call them piano parties because uh, ah. I think it makes it more festive and a little bit less intimidating sounding. Uh, but we do the same thing. Um, I try to make it fun. I try to make it lighthearted. I try to remind kids that, hey, it doesn't matter if you make a mistake. Even Beethoven himself said making a mistake is not a big deal. It's it's playing without passion that's that's the the horrible, uh. <laughs> unfor- unforgivable sin, if you will. Um, the, the making a mistake is okay. So I try to make it uh, all right to not be perfect. And uh, we get up and we do our best and we make it into a party. But it is really good for kids to learn how to perform in front of other people. Because honestly, whether it's playing the piano or getting up and making a speech, or if they want to go into acting, you know, we have occasion in our lives to, to perform or, 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 be up front in front of people. And it's really good to learn how to do that uh, so that we're not afraid. And I, I do believe that the more you do it, the more experience you have, the more practice you have, the less nerve wracking it becomes. So of course there are always nerves. I think some nerves are good. They help us focus more. Um, usually people perform better if they have some amount of nerves, not not over the top, but just a little bit. Uh, but it helps us learn that really valuable skill of being able to communicate in whatever form, musically, verbally, uh, even dancing, being, being able to communicate in front of a group of other people. Yeah, definitely a good skill since we're on the radio with hopefully a group of people on the other side of the speaker there. Hey, you've got uh, several kids that uh, have very interesting interests in terms of future occupations, ranging from music to, to baseball. How was it teaching music, as I assume you did to one degree or another, to your own kids? Well, that, that was tougher. <laughs> um, as a, you know, I, I always tell people as a homeschooler, I can teach Latin, I can teach history, I can teach algebra, but... Teaching piano is is tougher for me, uh, for my own kids, and and I'm not sure why that is, except perhaps that it's just, um, you know, very very near and dear to my heart, very close. None of my kids really found an interest in piano. I did teach all of them some amount of piano, uh, but they often just decided on a different instrument. <laughs> So my youngest, for instance, is a guitar player and um, quite proficient at guitar. And that's his thing. And and I think, although I really would love to have had one child who, who you know, loves the piano and wants to become, become a pianist, I think just having uh, a little bit of exposure and then choosing their own instrument that, that you know, that uh, is, is near and dear to their heart is important as well. And one last question for you, Sylvia, before we're out of time today. Favorite Christmas song of yours, both to listen and or to play? Oh, goodness. So much good stuff. I guess I'd have to say Oh Holy Night is uh, one of my all-time favorites to, to listen to and to play. However, this year I have 
uh, kind of branched out and am trying to learn Christmas music from around the world that's maybe a little bit um, unknown. And I would have to say I have found Polish Christmas music to be absolutely fantastic. Um, Any of the selections that I've listened to are just gorgeous and my new favorites. Ah, Polish Christmas music must be made to be played on the accordion, I think. So, well, (laughs) we're out of time for now. Thank you so much for getting up early and uh, and sharing that love of music with us. And uh, we'll take you out with some more of my wonderful work on the squeeze box. Thank you so very much, Sylvia Harder, joining us. Morning Air continues. We'll talk about Mary's visitation with Elizabeth, what it must have been like to be pregnant with the Christ child. We'll have to guess on that from our point of view. The latest from Rome with Ashley Narona next, all coming up here on Morning Air and the Morning Air Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Dios cuado el lobo de nuestra cordera, riu riu shiu la guada rivera. Dios cuado, Dios cuado el lobo de nuestra cordera, Dios cuado, Dios cuado el lobo de nuestra cordera. All right, I can't play that on the accordion, but uh, bringing you sounds of the season this morning along with the talk on Morning Air on Relevant Radio. It's glad in for John. Still to come this hour, we're going to check in with uh, Kim Morgan and talk a little bit about what it must have been like at the visitation as well with Mary and Elizabeth talking about being newly pregnant. That and uh, we'll have another Christmas story corner for you coming up. Heading to Rome right now, Ashley Narona joins us, our Rome correspondent. Good morning, Ashley. Happy Advent to you. Well, happy Advent to you, Glenn. So happy to be in these last few days as we're preparing to receive the the true light of the world. What's it like? What's the energy like approaching Christmas in Rome? Oh, well, there's a lot of excitement here. Uh, there, There are very many special things that are happening. For example, uh, preparing for Christmas Eve here, this is when Italians, depending on the part of the country that they're from, they will enjoy a different type of celebration, uh, either a very light meal or in some places a fish meal. Either way, it's a meal without meat. And then of course, head off to the midnight mass. And uh, when we're turning home, enjoy a family toast. So this is the way to toast the arrival of Christ. And then, of course, on Christmas Day itself, uh, this is the time where families get together, lots of food and fun. My husband, John, and I will go to Mass in English. We will receive the apostolic blessing of the Pope in his Urbi et Orbi address. Uh, That's the address that he gives from the city of Rome to the world. And, of course, some of the special foods that people will enjoy. The famous panettone cake for example, and lots of other treats to to bring in these days, Glenn. So lots of excitement happening here. Oh, I, that sounds great. You, you think of those scrambling if they're traveling to get to a mass that'll fit in between all the family uh, things. And uh, here you get to be at St. Peter's. They're very good. <laughs> very good. But yes, uh, it has right. to be just awesome. You know, and while the rest of us are scrambling with the last minute baking and shopping and wrapping and uh, things like that, uh, the Holy Father busy doing another general audience today. 
Yes. In fact, Glenn, at today's general audience, he spoke about the importance of preparation to celebrate the birth of Christ this weekend. And reflecting on Christ's birth, he says that the event is a reminder that we are loved first by God without doing anything at all to earn that love. And he referred to the message of the angel at Bethlehem, peace on earth to those with whom he's pleased. And he also noted the Apostle John's words that love consists that and not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. And we love because he first loved us. That was actually uh, part of my husband, John, and my wedding theme, that we love because he first loved us. And so this, uh, Pope Francis went on to say, is the reason for our joy during this Christmas season, knowing that we're loved without doing anything on our own, without any of our own merit, and that the love is so concrete that God took on flesh and came to live in our midst. And then, Glenn, the Holy Father went on to reflect on the idea that the creator of the universe himself uh, was not given a place to be born, and, and what a scandal that was. In fact, he then reflected on the words of John the Evangelist, that he came to his home, his own home, and in his own home, people would not receive him. And the Pope then reflected on Mary and Joseph and what it would have been like for them in the stable there at Bethlehem. He talked about the humble shepherds. He talked about how uh, the, the humility that is seen there in that scene uh, of the stable, because the shepherds, he said, personify the poor of Israel. So the lowly people who interiorly live with the awareness of their own need, of their own want. And so it's for this reason that the poor trust more in God than others. And so he also looked at the importance of the, the wise men being there, those pagans who were seeking truth and who were willing to undertake that long and difficult journey to adore the newborn king. And in him, they recognized the son of God who was made man. And so he said that all of this is possible only through authentic humility, because when we have authentic humility, one can come to God and recognize the true meaning of life to understand why life is truly worth living. And so today he put out a message to all and he invited all to, come to that stable, as he said, to come to the stable and adore the Son of God made man. He reminded that everyone is called to seek God, and with and through God's grace, well, everybody is able to find him. And he said that now we are so blessed because that divine love has a name and a face, and it's Jesus. And he reminded all the faithful that Jesus is the foundation of our joy, Glenn. Oh, what a beautiful message. Beautiful message from the Holy Father, the weekly general audience getting the latest update from Roma, the Rome correspondent, Ashley Nerona. The Christ Child, traditional gifts for the Christ Child, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Italy got something very interesting for Christmas oh. from the U.S. <laughs> You are so right, Glenn. You know what? This is the kind of gift it's not going to fit under the Christmas tree, but let me tell you, it's been long awaited for. Well, along with a big ceremony, the United States has just returned 200 
stolen antiquities to Italy. So imagine that this was all done through the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. They oversaw the operation and managed to get $10 million worth of stolen artifacts repatriated to Italy. Now these are uh, these items, there's about 100 of them. They've come from, for example, the Fordham Museum of Greek, Etruscan, and Roman art, uh, the Getty Museum in LA. There's even an Etruscan vessel that goes back to the 7th century BC. Interestingly, many of these have been linked to a 70-year-old Rome-based dealer who is said to have used tumbaroli, who are tomb raiders, to loot and to smuggle artifacts in and out of the country for the last three decades, working alongside of a network of scholars and directors and museum curators to make this all possible. So right now, uh, we are happy to say that 160 of the artifacts are now back in, in Bella Italia, and then the, another 40 are on display in the Italian consulate in New York until, Mark's, until March. So. Indeed, the Cultural Heritage Department of Italy is very grateful for these unexpected Christmas gifts, Glenn. Wow, I didn't have anything like that in my <laughs> gift list, but uh, my goodness, sounds like uh, more have. like a movie plot. <laughs> you ask and you shall receive, but uh, sounds go. more like a movie plot perhaps than uh, something in the news. But uh, oh, that's well, that's good. That things yes. that uh, are, are back where they they ought to be as well. Hey, well, one right. of the beautiful cities in Italy, Venice, uh, celebrates in a very unique way for Christmas, doesn't it? Oh, you're so right, Glenn. In fact, there's three really special ways that come to mind that Venice celebrates. So what's what's really special about Italians is they very much use their cultural traditions as well as their natural geography to celebrate the, the upcoming Christmas days. And so imagine that in the northern part of the Venice Lagoon, a floating nativity scene has been installed in those waters. So there are 62 wooden figures. And so they're representing, of course, the nativity figures. Uh, they're also representing animals, camels, sheep, etc. Now it's located in an open stretch of water, about 150 meters. So that means it's not hindering boat traffic. And it was created by a local resident who is actually a greengrocer by trade. But in his heart, his passion is that he is an artist. He handcrafted, he painted each and every figure out of plywood. And then each figure is fixed with stakes and anchored to the lagoon floor. It's interlinked with ropes. Now, last year, which was the first year he displayed it, Sadly, a storm washed away his work and his, his figures were just scattered all across the lagoon. But uh, thanks to the help of some sailors and boaters, they were able to get most of them back. And now, as it's erected again during these days, many people from the Venice area are going by boat to go up close and to spend time with those figures, to meditate there. And of course, they speak about those couple of, of special hours each day where the water is actually at the same level as the feet of each of the figures. And uh, that's not all, Glenn, because Venice also just hosted its annual Christmas parade. And of course, as you would imagine it would be, this took place floating along the Grand Canal. So carrying people dressed in costume, many St. Nicholas costumes, uh, of course, singing various Christmas songs, including Italy's most famous Christmas song, that written by St. Alphonsus di Ligori, to Scendi dalle Stelle, you come down from the stars. And then not far from there at a seaside resort near Venice, they're also hosting a very special nativity scene. 
So sculptors from around the world have come to the town of Jesselo to create 12 masterpieces for a sand festival, a sand festival that's dedicated to religious art. So right now on display are 12 monumental figures. They're made only of sand and they tell, they of course depict the nativity scene, but also biblical stories of Jesus' miracles. So these sculptors have used thousands of tons of sand to create their masterpieces. They look like they, they were carved from stone, but of course uh, there's not a drop of glue used. It's only water, sand, and their incredible skill. So this, uh, the Venetians will be able to enjoy until the 6th of January. And, and here uh, in Italy, we will continue with the Christmas celebrations right through the entire traditional liturgical season, which is right up through February 2nd, Glenn. Well, with all that to do, it's uh, it's no wonder. It's no wonder. Now, in the upper Midwest, where I broadcast from, we think it's not really Christmas till there's snow on the ground, right, in terms of what it looks like. But mm. Italy proving you can have a, a, a lot of fun without snow for Christmas and do a, a lot of beautiful things. Hey, just uh, maybe it's anecdotal evidence you might have, but wondering, in a culture that's so steeped in art and beauty and, you know, things of culture, uh, as opposed to maybe just football or something like that. But uh, do you find the average person, like you mentioned, this grocer created such a, a beautiful artistic yeah. piece out there. Do you find the average person might be a little more in touch with their artistic side? Oh, well, you know what? This is the, the home of the Renaissance, of course, and it was really thanks to the Catholic Church herself, who was the patron uh, of such great art. And I think you're right, Glenn, there's something about uh, being here in Italy, about the beauty, about the the landscapes, about the, the food, the passionate way of living that stirs people's artistic side. So with that said, uh, if if we encourage more patrons out there in the world. I think Italians can continue to make amazing art that touches hearts for centuries. Yeah, I bet they will. And uh, one more spot they do that. Uh, Assisi has a unique way of preparing for Christmas, I understand, as well. Yes, of course, Sisi is most famous as the home of St. Francis, who is one of Italy's patron saints. But right now, people are going to visit because on all the major basilicas, they actually have a video mapping project where they are projecting frescoes, frescoes of the early Renaissance painter Giotto. And so you can go and see these beautiful images. Uh, they're projecting stars on the ground, which lead from one church to the next. There's life-size sculptures of the saints. There's colorful lighting on the houses in the historic center. A beautiful way to bring in the Christmas season with light, remembering that the true light of the world is coming, Glenn. Very good. Very good. Well, thank you so much for that update from Rome. As always, we appreciate those that glimpse into the uh, beautiful life in Italy and the important uh, spiritual life there as well. Merry Christmas to you and John and anyone that uh, touches upon you guys in Italy there and uh, look forward to talking uh, with you again very soon. Well, thank you so much. Buon Natale a tutti. There goes Ashley Narona. Morning Air continues. Kim Morgan joins us next with a look at what it must have been like to be Mary newly pregnant. That in a Christmas story corner coming up as Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Dominic the donkey, jingity jing, the Italian Christmas donkey, la 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 la
Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Morning air rolls on here on Relevant Radio. It's Glenn here for John today. Can you imagine what it was like? Now, as a guy, especially difficult to imagine, right? Even though I've, you know, been married to a person who's uh, had some children of <laughs> my own. And uh, we're going to think a little bit about what it might be like, meditating a little bit what it must have been like for Mary to have and to bear that great news, my goodness. And then what it must have been like to go visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was dealing with some pretty good news of her own. Uh, so we thought we'd bring in a, uh, a mom of many for uh, some insight into that experience. A uh, semi-regular guest here on uh, Morning Air, as well as locally uh, on our Minnesota affiliate KYES. Kim Morgan joins us this morning. Kim, happy Advent. Great to have you along. You're surviving the, the countdown here with just a couple days left to go. Well, happy Advent to you. Also, Glenn, yes, uh, the Advent season has been incredibly rich this year. It has given uh, all of us a little time to prepare and reflect on what is about to come. And as much as we think we can imagine, even those of us that have been moms and carried a baby, I don't know that we can fully uh, grasp and take hold of what Mary actually went through. And how young she was and how she must have felt. And just, I, I know the Annunciation is such a beautiful story in the Bible, but the, the more um, personal one to me is the visitation because it really shows that, that pro-life message that, that God gives us so early on that another baby in a womb recognizes another baby in a womb. And these two cousins have this connection long before either of them are ever born. And it's when you think about the power of that, this is before medical interventions and ultrasounds, they knew each other just from being nearby. And it was so powerful. And the fact that uh, John the Baptist recognized Jesus, oh, it's so cool to think he knew him already. Well, right. Some would say, uh, you know, the first to, to recognize. It would talk about a, a pro-life uh, portion of Scripture there. The, the first to recognize our Lord uh, was a, a baby in the womb. And, you know, you do a ton of pro-life work, as does your, your family, and uh, a lot of what you've talked about on the radio through the years as well deals with uh, loving life, especially uh, young life in the womb. It has to be, along with, uh, you know, I, I knit you in the womb, one of the most important and positive pro-life things in all of Scripture. That's exactly right, and I think when we take time during Advent to think about Mary preparing for Jesus and how much faith she had to have, knowing he was on his way, knowing she was not ready, knowing that she would never really be ready to receive the Savior, that only the Holy Spirit, God himself, would create her readiness, her her willing heart, and in fact did that even before he was conceived, right? Because she was ready to say yes when she was asked the question. And when I thought of this during Advent this year, am I ready to always say yes? I'm not prepared, but am I ready to say yes? Am I ready to walk on that faith that Mary leads us on, and that, that journey with Jesus 
the most intimate, close relationship you can have with Jesus is the one Mary had, and are we willing to say yes to that as well? And I think that really, when you think about that perspective of just not ever being equipped enough as a human being to be ready for all that Jesus asks, I think then you start preparing yourself for Advent. Then you really start realizing we are at God's mercy and his grace, and we are only able to do what we do because of the gifts he gives us. Again, I have no doubt that women are indeed the uh, the stronger sex, absolutely, in terms of giving birth, uh, for sure. And you think of, you know, you're married to a doctor, and, you know, we have modern medicine and access to all sorts of uh, great prenatal info, as uh, well as doctor visits and all of that, a little different from what Mary had, although she had the best help you could ever have. But can you imagine kind of in that, that physical situation of 2,000 years ago, what it must have been like to not only be pregnant, but carrying, you know, Jesus Christ? It, it's impossible to imagine. She had really probably no medical care to speak of. She had no great form of transportation to go on this long journey, so she was walking a long way, very flat shoes. And for a mother to think about just all the comforts we often can have when we are expecting a baby, she had none of those. She only had Joseph to lean on, uh, possibly a donkey or some kind of animal that got her from point A to point B, and, and the shoes that she was wearing. That was about it. And we we often complain or gripe or, or feel like we're we're tired and we're sore as mothers and I thought, well she was tired and sore too. She was fully human. She experienced every kind of little pain and discomfort all of us do when we carry a baby. She really is our mother. She understands what it is to be mom and so when we go to her, when we ask her for help, she is the most sympathetic, empathetic loving, merciful person to help us get through things. And that's the the joy of our Catholic faith is having her as an intercessor for us. She's so close to Jesus. She's able to ask him to do things that he wasn't even ready to do yet. And he does them for her because he honors his mother. And that that piece of their relationship is so beautiful. And it's a, a part of their relationship that also then relates to us because she can always intercede for us and she understands the the pain and discomfort of bearing a child like that. Kim, any thoughts about poor Joseph doing his best? Uh, you know, we think of, especially when the when the first one is due as dads, you know, as future dads, we're, you know, we don't know exactly what's going on. I mean, I guess the one thing I recall is that before any kids come along, you do have the time to read all the books about it. But, uh, you know, after you've had one, you're, you're too busy with the baby to, you know, to, to read until they're off to college or something like that. But uh, I, I imagine, of course, supernatural help for Joseph to be the right kind of family leader as needed as well. I can only imagine, because he was a little bit older, that he had had some type of life experiences that he could build on and know that it was going to be okay. And Mary, we know, held many things in her heart. So I can hope that in some similar way, Joseph held things in his heart. He was constantly in dialogue with God. He was constantly praying for the situation, knowing that he had been called to some kind of greatness as well. Right? It wasn't just Mary that was called to, to act. He was called to act as well. So I have a feeling he had this great, cool relationship, and he was like, oh, it's fine, everything's fine. It's going to be fine. It's 
going to be fine. And he probably <laughs> worried a lot less than maybe we think he would have or way, the way we would have worried about it for sure. Yeah, you know, God's grace had to be with him. I mean, being the only non-perfect person in the household, uh, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he had his work cut out for him as as well. Do you think too, you know, looking in our humanness at what Mary and her humanness had to deal with, that you know, knowing God, you know, she accepted this challenge from God, this great responsibility, you know, without knowing exactly what would be happening, most likely, and. It seems that when we do the really tough things, it's almost better that God works with us that way, too, that we don't know how hard each step will be. But if we say yes to that first step, that sets things in motion. God can take care of us. But uh, it almost works better that way. I mean, I've had journeys in life where, you know, I, I took a step in faith. But if I knew what all the steps would entail on that journey in my uh, human nature, I'd have to say no. Uh, but maybe that's uh, God's wisdom in the way he leads us. I think you're exactly right, and I think God has so much wisdom that we can't comprehend that he could try to explain it, but he's like, nah, never mind. You'll just see as you go. It'll be okay. Just You'll see as you go. Because he has so many big plans and so many intricate ways he can work things into our lives. And sometimes when we say yes and then we kind of veer off the path, he's like, no, 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 back over here. And he will guide us back to what he needs us to do, even if we think, no, that's too hard, I can't do that, I don't want to take the first step. He will always decide and help guide us to where we need to be, especially if we can keep ourselves in a state of grace, be open to his will, keep a good, strong prayer life. God won't let us mess up. Sometimes he gives us lots of choices. He's happy with whichever one we pick, and he will guide us down those paths. But we merely need to have faith that he will give us the tools we need to complete what he asks of us. Well, thanks for saying yes to being a guest uh, today and always through the year. One of our favorite guests, Kim Morgan. Merry Christmas to you and all the little and big Morgans out there as well. Uh, We thank you so much for being with us this day with uh, thoughts on uh, Mary's young pregnant life and what that must have been like. Morning Air continues now with today's Story Corner. Our story today called "'Twas the Fight Before Christmas." "'Twas the fight before Christmas, when all through the house not a good deed was stirring, and Dad was a louse. Their mother was angry and loaded with care, cause the gift list was longer than ever this year. The children were nagging for gifts worth a ton, and Dad was convinced Christmas just isn't fun. With Mom's loud complaining and Dad mad at all, they loaded the car for a trip to the mall. They first stopped at Sears to buy Grandma a platter. At Ward's, Sis tried on jeans that confirmed she was fatter. They stopped at the ATM for some more cash, and they saw their neighbors with their Christmas stash. Hearts sank as they saw what their neighbors could spend. We've got to buy more, everyone chimed in. When what to their shopping red eyes should appear, but a sign with the answer to their Christmas fear. Use credit, use Visa, use MasterCard. Just run up their limits, it's not very hard. More rapid than eagles, the charges they came, and they whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Nordstrom's, now Kmart, now Price Club, and Kinney's to Broadway, to Target, we'll finish at pennies. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, their packages piled up, they'd outbought them all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when met with an obstacle mount to the sky, so flew away hope of a Christmas of joys. Not a problem was changed by the gifts and the toys. Then in a twinkling, Dad knew without a doubt they needed to know, what is Christmas about? That night in a dream, he saw Bethlehem town and a babe in a manger with thorns for a crown. And 
Then what Dad saw brought the tears like a flood. Christ's back was all tarnished, where lashes brought blood. A rugged old cross was his tortuous rack. As he shifted its weight to his now bleeding back, his eyes filled with burdens. There was nothing there, Mary. The thorns had no roses. The night became airy. His dry, thirsty mouth was drawn thin like a bow, and the beard of his chin was plucked out cruelly and slow. The cross from his back held him high in his shame, and the soldiers encircled his death with a game. He had a kind face, in his eyes none saw hate, and he shook when they laughed at his horrible fate. He was dying for me, took my sins on himself, and I wept when I saw him in spite of myself. A look in his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work. He took all of my sin and then turned with a jerk. It is finished, he said, death he willingly chose. Then glory to God, from the grave he arose. Dad sprang from his bed, shouting what Christmas gives. It's not all the gifts, but that Jesus now lives. So you'll hear them exclaim on their next Christmas night, Happy Christmas to all who will keep Christmas rights. Matthew 1.23, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's our story today. You can always access each day's Story Corner in podcast form on the Relevant Radio app or at relevantradio.com or on Glenn's Facebook page, Glenn's Story Corner Facebook page. Getting the text and audio for you there as well. Your suggestions always welcome. Email them to morningair at relevantradio.com. Much more of Morning Air to come this morning. Father Marcel Tyone is next as we look at ways to grow in devotion to the Eucharist this Christmas at Job Hunting with Bruce Lackenauer. All coming up as Morning Air continues on Relevant Radio.